0: Welcome back to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Today we'd like to bring to your attention a topic, I'd say it's even a large theme that we haven't touched on before here on this podcast. It's all about missionary safety, your safety. We call today's episode how missionaries can keep their digital self secure. Indeed, we all have a digital version of ourselves. It's composed of everything we do online in this digital world. And today, we'd like to share with you the best practice available, friends. How you can make sure your digital presence serves your mission. Our guest today is Ernest Statz. Ernest serves as security and data privacy consultant to the General Conference. He has a master's of science degree in information assurance which is commonly referred to as data security. Ernest served four years on Guam and participated in dozens of mission trips. So as you can see our guest today merges experience in the mission field with much knowledge and practice in data security. Having said that, let's transition to the interview itself.
1: Welcome to the Institute of World Mission weekly podcast, a show for Adventist mission enthusiasts striving to live, serve, and witness cross-culturally. Visit us at iwm.adventist.org podcast to view this podcast show notes, links, and previous episodes.
0: Institute of World Mission is your
1: partner in the mission field.
0: Ernest, welcome to the Institute of World Mission podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. All right, we have a topic that we've never touched on before on this podcast, and it's a very interesting one. Even the title, uh, which is how to keep your digital self secure. As missionaries, we know how important this is. So this is what we'll talk about, and I'm very thankful that we can do that together. So let's let's launch into this. And my first question for you is, um, is this. The digital self... What does that mean? What does that all include nowadays?
1: Great question. One of the things we have to understand is that we have multiple presentations of ourselves that we don't even realize are out there. We have the tracks we leave behind every place we go where we check in on something online, when we look up something on the internet. All of this is tracked um, quite frequently and it's tied back to our identity. A lot of it's also searchable. So that way someone can get a really good idea of who you are, what your interests are, what your topics, and kind of uh, part of that is understanding that persona and then saying, well, how do I want to present this persona to the world? And I think that's an important part as a missionary. Not only does it matter how we dress or how we walk, but then also
0: how is our digital self presenting to the world as well? Right, it's very interesting. Um, there is a mythological dimension to this whole topic. For example, you know, if we are in a restricted access country and um, we have our friends from back home um, on Facebook, and then we, you know, we're making friends in our local host community. How do we then present our digital self to these two very different constituencies? But that's not our topic today, right? So we might talk about social media another time and um, you've been a missionary, you've gone through a lot of these things um, in in previous years. Today, we'll we'll kind of focus more on the security uh, technical parts of this. So, my next question for you is this, what are the risks? What risks do people in general and missionaries in particular face in the digital realm?
1: One of the things we don't realize is how much we're being listened to. And even though we think people get the illusion that cell phones are secure, I have one of my friends who works for a government agency that will remain nameless, that whenever he answers his cell phone, even if it's his mother, and he's here in the States, first thing he says is, hello, this is so-and-so, this is an insecure line. Um, and, he's, and his mom's like, son, it's me. He's like, I know, but I want to remind you, this is not secure. Um, and that's part of the thing, understanding that, I always refer back to we need to understand that whenever we're posting messages, whenever we are you know, texting someone, whenever we're talking on the cell phone or a mobile device um, or we're sending stuff across the Internet, we need to think of it like being in a hallway. Other people who are walking by could overhear us. Doesn't mean they are listening at the moment, but they very likely could. Now, if you're in a high risk zone, the Middle East or some other areas where governments are very restrictive, then absolutely they're being listened to. And it might even surprise
0: you some of the European countries that listen as well. Right. Um, so speaking of risks, this is a, such an interesting topic, Ernest, because um, it's like a spectrum, right? We we can, we can worry uh, too much about this or we can be careless about this. And I've, uh, you know, in my years of uh, cross-cultural mission work, we've had so many of these conversations working in Central Asia, working in the Middle East, elsewhere, um, now, what's your take? Where is the balance? How can we be balanced in terms of using technology today?
1: I think that's a, a great um, question. And, and that's something that I have worked through for myself. I travel internationally all the time. And I've done a lot of stuff on security. And I've worked with government agencies. But I don't live in fear, even though I understand what can be done. I have learned to take certain steps. That to me, I feel comfortable and I, to me it's an acceptable level of risk. If you worked for a U.S. government agency and you were traveling outside of the country, they usually give you a brand new hard drive every time you travel outside of the country, completely wiped clean. Um, I don't do that always depending upon where I'm traveling. But what I do is I back up my files before I go and then I take certain precautions. Um, for example, I turn off Bluetooth and wireless right before the airplane lands Going through an airport, I make sure my Bluetooth and wireless are turned off on my devices because it's so easy to connect. Um, I've done something where I make it so that way I don't plug into any USB device to charge unless I have something that's called a data blocker. And they're very simply, very easily bought. They connect and they allow you to only allow power signal to come across, but no data transfer. So I've done a couple things like that. I've also done something that's called a fair day bag that I put my cell phone in when I'm traveling around an area that I don't want to be tracked. And it makes it very simple. My father, who's a retired farmer, who's not a high risk profile, he just didn't like getting all the spam advertisements every time he went to a tractor store or a feed store. And he's like, I'm getting all this spam email. We took his Android phone, put it in one of these little called silent pockets. His email spam went down by 80% he wasn't being tracked at Home Depot or any of these other places that he would go visit. And he loves it. So he, he's like, I pull it out. I use my phone when I want to use it, not when they want to track me. So, and again, there's some very simple stuff we can do to limit our exposure to where we feel comfortable. And, and part of it is understanding where do you want to be. And also thinking not just of ourselves, but of our children. And what's the interaction there? When I've worked with some very well-known corporations, the first thing we teach them is they need to protect the communications between them and their children, because if somebody wants to get to you, they're probably going to get to you through your children. So that is one of the things we kind of encourage them to teach these principles and set up some ground rules for that.
0: Uh, What you just uh, mentioned right now about the security of our children, I I immediately made a note. We probably need to uh, do a separate episode just on that, how we can... Uh, uh, keep our children secure. So it's it's uh, uh, coming back to uh, my previous question: this balance between actually, you know, being too restricted and uh, uh, and being too careless. Uh, there is this golden spot, which is which might be a little different uh, for every place, right? So the those requirements may shift depending on where our listeners are, and it would be for them to decide. not to help them today to actually help them um, um, make some of those decisions. I know that the bulk of our presentation is this next question, which you and I agreed you would you would actually take us through 10 points, 10 points. And I want to count them one by one as you go through them, 10 points for basic digital security. I know you can go way more elaborate than than these basic 10 points, but let's at least Try to cover these 10 today and maybe go deeper at another moment. So 10 points for basic digital security for missionaries. Please, Ernest.
1: Absolutely. And just like you said, there's a lot more we could add, but this, this is a good starting point. And, and, and again, one thing I want to highlight is, first of all, we are not called to a spirit of fear as we go out and serve, but we are told to be wise as serpents you know, and harmless as doves. So again, that's part of where each person for yourself have to make that balance. And I always tell people, make that balance in light of how is this going to impact ministry? How is this going to reflect Christ? So keeping that in mind, I will start on this list. First of all, I recommend that you back up all of your important data. I can't, the number of times I've worked with places where I said, oh, we've lost this. And whether it's text messages, I will oftentimes take text messages and I will copy them off and put them into email just so I have a record of them. And at the same time, we're going to come down later and we're going to talk about deleting specific text messages. So I will back them up, put them into a different email system so that way they're out of band and they're not on my cell phone. So, but then I will also delete them, especially if I'm dealing in sensitive areas or sensitive regions of the world where if someone is known or their identity is known, it could cause harm to them. So then I will delete those as well, which is further down on the list. But first of all, I start by backing up my messages. My, my, You can back up stuff to iCloud or to your Android, to Google. Again, that's a little bit of a decision you have to make as far as your comfort level. I don't have a problem personally backing stuff up to iPhone, Apple through my iPhone or backing stuff up on my Android devices up to Google. There are certain things that I don't back up. I typically don't back up my messages all the time. I will go to a manual sync when I want to but I don't back them up all the time to iCloud. That's just a personal choice, partly due because I deal with a lot of sensitive security stuff. So I don't have them backed up there. The next point is to update and keep all your updates. And there are step-by-step instructions. We have a handout we're going to share with people, a link where they can have this handout. And I go through step-by-step instructions on how to you know, turn on updates on your Mac computer or your Windows computer. iOS also has a way to automatically update, and so does Android, to keep it updated. Android, because there's so many flavors, one of the biggest challenges of Android is keeping it updated. And that's one of the things I would challenge people to, try and update it as high as you
0: can. Now, I understand when you have an older device, you
1: can't always go to the latest system. So you want to update it as far as
0: you can. Ernest, why is it important? Why is it important to have your devices to uh, update it to the latest uh, uh, firmware or software?
1: There are constant people that are trying to break into phone systems. There is more malware coming out on even mobile devices now than there was on laptops and PCs recently. There's been a huge spike. So they have become a target and because, and they've, and most of the world has actually switched from laptops to mobile devices because they're cheaper and they're smaller and we carry them with us everywhere. And if you think about it, what's on your mobile device? You have very sensitive, usually personal text messages. You have all your contacts. If you use something like a U-verse Bible or something, you may have stuff that you've highlighted in scripture. Again, some of your personal notes. You have everything. You have birth dates. You have all this stuff kept in this device. That makes it a very rich target for a hacker. So that's one of the reasons to keep it updated because they're actively seeking this.
0: Okay, so the updated uh, versions of software will have patches for different... Um, uh, holes let let, let me use the simple language which um, would uh, allow us to actually be more secure right so the newer the software is the better it is absolutely
1: so the more we keep it updated in backing up the sensitive so you don't lose your data that you want and then the other thing is I would recommend after you keep it patched so that way you don't have these holes in your system it makes it harder for someone to hack most of the time these guys work underneath uh, a money system too they want to make money So what they're going to do is they're going to go after the easiest thing to hack. So then I would make sure the more you keep it patched, the more it's going
0: to be secure. I just wanted to say, so first one is backup your important data. Second, keep your devices updated. Point number three.
1: Point number three is to make sure you've deleted anything that is really sensitive or that you do not want to be tracked. So again, part of this is a little bit secure depending upon, we'll get down here to setting up a passcode, but you want to make sure that I personally take messages that I consider extra sensitive or from people from sensitive regions. I delete those once I've read them just to get rid of them so that way they can't be brought up some other time. Remember, whatever is put on there can be screen captured and could be used by somebody else. Fourth point is to leave non-essential devices. There's so many options of technology. Um, One of the things when I am looking, I'm saying, what device do I actually need to have with me? Uh, I've talked to people several times about less is actually more. I could have, you know, 20 different devices, but if I only want to carry two, that's less to keep track of. First of all, it advertises the more devices you have, the more it advertises perceived wealth, um, which could impact ministry opportunities. Secondly, it also leaves a bigger target. It's easier to put something down. If you leave a cell phone on a table for a second, it can be swiped in a major, you know, at a coffee shop or something, you know, someplace where you're at. You're getting a food restaurant. You set it down, that's the first thing you don't want to do. So the more devices you have, you have to set them somewhere. So I always recommend carrying the least amount as possible. The, the next point, point number five, is what's called I call shields up. And that means enabling your firewall, especially if you have a laptop. And people don't realize how many times people are trying to get into your devices. Now, there is software for mobile devices as well that will put on firewalls. Depending upon the Android version, I have put them on on some people who are in very high-risk areas. I don't. I don't use one online as one a one software one. firewall. I just use the defaults and don't worry about it. But if I'm going into a high risk region, I would definitely buy a vast like an antivirus that also includes a firewall option and use it there.
0: Very interesting. Before you before you go forward, Ernest, the firewall option. I mean, I am I'm really friends with computers, right? We're doing this podcast. We're recording this. Eventually, you know, this will reach uh, reach our precious audience. Right now, I'm, I'm actually struggling to understand <laughs> what this firewall thing is. Now, is it VPN? Is it, you know, I, I, I'm using VPN. Is that the firewall you're talking about? Or those are two different things? And if they are different, can you explain both?
1: Yes, I can. And thank you. That, that's a great question. And please, I, I, I'm a technical person by nature. So I sometimes I go geek speak. Please pull me back to English. Um, thank you. Um, a, a VPN is separate. And that's going to be the next option that we're going to talk about. Um, But the firewall is actually something that's enabled in your software that it actually protects the laptop from someone trying to get in all laptops are designed to have ways of connecting to other laptops and a firewall basically limits the way somebody can connect to your device. So if we're both sitting at a restaurant somewhere, if you have no firewall, there's probably lots of ways I can connect to your device and you don't know it. If you enable your firewall then in both in Windows on a Mac and there's step-by-step guides on how to do this and enabling your firewall. You know, on Mac OS, I have it listed right here on the step-by-step guide. You go into preferences, security settings, you can go down through and actually enable. That just limits how people connect to your device. Now, a VPN makes an encrypted connection over the internet. So that way, when I'm, when I'm on the internet and I'm going through and I'm going to some website, that keeps all of that confidential is what it does. It puts it in a special pipe.
0: Excellent. I do want to highlight, Ernest, uh, what you've mentioned, and we should have made a bigger deal out of this even earlier in this episode, is that you are very kind to share with our audience a special guide a very practical guide with links and explanations and step-by-step instructions how to make, uh, how to implement some of these points you advise. And in the show notes of this episode, um, our listeners will be able to find this, this link. It will be to a downloadable PDF which they can then download and kind of go a little bit deeper into some of these things. So this will be available. Everyone, please just take a look at the show notes and look for the link uh, for the downloadable PDF for you. Or, or wait a second, is it a link to a downloadable PDF or is it a website page?
1: It's going to be a link to a downloadable PDF. That's right.
0: All right, very well. So we covered five points. Back up important data, update your devices, delete sensitive data, After reading very sensitive data, leave back non-essential devices and use a firewall on your laptop if you're traveling into some sensitive places. This is five points. Please take us further.
1: Yes. And I, I would actually say I have the firewall turned on all the time, even in my home network. And again, I just leave it. It makes no difference. Everything works. I still connect to my laptop versus my wife's laptop. We go Windows to Mac, Mac to Windows. We can still do it with the firewall enabled. Um, So, but that just protects a lot of other things. So the next thing is then setting up what's called a VPN, which is a virtual private network. That's step number six, and that allows you to have an encrypted connection to the internet. So if you're at a public place. Now, I don't use a VPN when I'm at home. Some people do because they don't want their internet service provider to have logs of where they're going on the internet. I I do not mind. But whenever I'm traveling, I use a VPN because that keeps my communication secure. So I will use a VPN whenever I'm on the road, whenever I'm traveling anywhere outside of my home.
0: So and yeah, and, and I do use this too. Basically, it's a service that uh, our listeners will probably need to buy to have a quality service. Uh, it's not expensive, but then there will be an app for your laptop or your phone. You turn it on and uh, your entire online internet connection becomes encrypted, which is uh, which is a very good deal. Absolutely. And
1: I have listed two options here, one called Nord and one called private internet access. Both of those have been vetted. I'm very careful with recommending VPNs because most of the free ones actually tie back to China in some way, shape, or form, and that's it's not encrypted for them; they see it all. So that's another thought. Again, I'm very—I do not use any free VPN, so that, that I always recommend going. These are two paid options that are good options. The next thing um, is to change your defaults. So, for example on the iOS device if you're dealing with an iPhone or an iPad the default is always if you set a password it does not encrypt anything on your device until you set a password but if you use a four-digit password which a lot of people do one of the things to understand there is a device that costs about $200 and you can buy it in the US or overseas and with a four-digit passcode I can crack anyone's four-digit passcode in less than 16 hours so, and it's 100 like 90 dollars US. And so, and I've done it before for police departments and stuff like that when they've needed to crack a device. If you have a six digit passcode, it doesn't work. It just takes too long. So I have gone in and extended mine to a six digit and it's a, a, it's a phone number that I used to use a long time ago. So I can go in, put it in there, it works. It's something easy for me to remember. I always recommend make it easy to remember but then it's a six-digit passcode that is long. That way, it's not easily crackable. Now, if you're just
0: not doing a lot of traveling or you're not in high-sensitive areas, a four-digit passcode is workable. So you're talking about mobile phones, the passcode to actually enter your phone. It's better to have six-digit passcodes rather than four-digit passcodes, okay? That, I, just to make clear it for myself.
1: Yes, and if you do four-digit, never do one, 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 one or, or zero, 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 zero. <laughs> Um, The other thing that people don't realize, if I'm on an Android device and I use a pattern, I always am strongly, I strongly encourage people to be very cautious about that. Because I have done this before where I've taken somebody's screen from an Android device, put it up to the light, and I can literally see the grease marks from their finger and I see the pattern. Unless you go back over the pattern. So be very cautious about using a pattern. It's easy to find your, your pattern on the screen. Unless you wipe your screen all the time.
0: So the default is usually the phone will ask you for four digits, especially Androids. iPhones are now, I believe, asking for six digits by default. But if if you're being asked for four digits, look for a six-digit passcode for your phone.
1: Absolutely. So and when you do that, it actually encrypts it everything as well, which is our next which is our next point. Is you want to make sure that you encrypt Windows and Apple. My Mac computer is encrypted. My Apple computer is encrypted and I edit video on it, it makes no difference. It, now, when it first does the encryption, it takes a while. But after the hard drive's encrypted, it's fine. So I use the encrypted, it runs fine, makes no difference. Same thing with Windows, Android, if, and with um, iOS, if you put a passcode
0: on it, you've basically encrypted the device. So what I'm hearing from you, if if there is a passcode on a phone, there's no need to worry about encryption. However, with our laptops, Um, They will, even if you have a password to enter into your account on your laptop, it probably is not encrypted. You need to go to the settings and look for that particular option to encrypt your entire hard drive. And I have a MacBook Pro, and it's very easy to find this option and to turn your computer into an encrypted one. That's what you're talking about, correct?
1: Absolutely. And for those who don't know, they're, on the guide, there's, there's a link to step-by-step instructions on how to do it for either Windows or Mac.
0: Excellent. That is wonderful.
1: The, the next thing I recommend is kind of setting up your privacy. And th- there's several things here underneath setting your privacy. And But one of the ones I want to focus on, because there's a lot we could go, many directions we could go with this. But um, I recommend using a password, some type of password keeper. Passwords should be at least 10 characters long. I will tell you most of my passwords are about 26 characters or longer, and I don't know any of them except my one master password. <laughs> so I use a password keeper and I that tracks all my passwords for me, and then I just go through and I that puts in my passwords automatically for me, so I don't have to remember long passwords. Whether you use like LastPass or KeyPass or, you know, there, there's many of them out there that are really, really good options out there. And there's some instructions in the guide for that as well.
0: Excellent. I, um, You know, basically, as I am interacting with a lot of people in Adventist missions, I'm sorry to say, Ernest, but most everyone is just using some very simple passwords um you know uh, at least they you know when when they tell me what what they use not exactly the password but uh, you know so some of the patterns that they're using or one password for many things or whatever um i do use uh, a password manager and it's you know you you kind of have to get used to it but usually they embed themselves into your browser, even into your phone, if it's a good one. So it's not like you have to spend a lot of additional time, even apps on your phones. You know, the password manager will provide those long passwords that you don't have to remember, and they sync in between your devices. So it's not something that is a huge burden. It just takes a little bit of attention. And once the system is set up and you have a routine, um, developed for yourself, you should have, I, I deeply believe that our dear missionaries should have separate passwords for everything because, you know, and this is the probably the most basic advice that we can give, that do not use the same password for, for all of your accounts. It,
1: it is absolutely. And one of the things that we weren't going to cover a little bit, to, uh, we'll cover just slightly today, it, um, there's a link in this, on this guide, on how to use what's called two-factor authentication. So where you put in a password, and I actually have a link to a step-by-step tutorial, and it says, are you using Google? Are you using Yahoo? Are you using, it goes through each technology, Instagram, Facebook. And basically what it'll do is it will send either to an SMS text message or something to verify who you are. I always recommend turning on what's called multi-factor or 2FA, two-factor authentication on every service you possibly can. Even if you use a simpler password, fantastic. Because then you've got another way to just try and stop it. And that, and that makes it much more attainable. I'd recommend never using the same password. <laughs> um, what oftentimes, if you want a password, if you say, it, well, I can only remember so many things. Let me give a quick example. Let's say my password is Ronald. So I'm going to make that my root password for everything. So I'm going to do Ronald, and I'm going to do at 1FB for Facebook. I'll do Ronald at one And then I will do, for Gmail, GMA. So that way it's called a root password, but then I'm using this. Then I know, I only have to remember the difference on the end. It makes it much simpler, but it's a much more complex
0: and secure password. And that's a simple way. That's simpler than uh, a password manager, but this will already improve the security of our missionaries a great deal.
1: The next thing that I recommend doing, just it kind of gives you an idea of what's being said about you, about your ministry. I recommend doing this not only for ministries, but for yourself and for your children. And this is setting alerts and monitors on yourself. And Google does, does this for free. Basically, you go to google.com slash alerts, and this is on the handout as well, where you can go in and you can put in and you can have it automatically delivered to your email, whenever your name, first name, last name, Um, First name, middle, last name, I put them all in differently. So that way, if I see any one of these, if I put in the name of my ministry or recommended ministry, then as soon as something's mentioned on the web, sometimes even on the dark web, it will come over sometimes depending upon how it's cross-linked and Google will give you an alert that something's being said. So that's one thing that I do. So I always keep alerts so that way I know something's being said or
0: someone's talking about something we're doing. What, which, what this means, the way I hear you, is if my name is mentioned anywhere on the Internet, uh, Google will notify me, right? It will, it will send Absolutely. me a link and then I can, I can go and see what, are, what is this with my name and who says what. Exactly.
1: It's a good way to indicate whether you've been hacked. Um, it's that, But it also has an idea of protecting your reputation as far as what you're doing in the mission field. Somebody may not like something, and they may misunderstand what you're trying to do. And this is a good way to, oh, they're saying this. Let me let them know this is really not what we meant. We were meaning something else. Again, trying to see what we can do. The other thing is it's a website, and the link is on this handout. Again, it's called Have I Been Pwned. Pwned is hacker speak for meaning you've been owned or you've been hacked. So basically what you can do is you can go into Have I Been Pwned and put in every email address you use. And you can set it up so it will automatically alert you if any of those email addresses with passwords show up on the dark web. So then you know it's been hacked. And they will send you a list of every time that email has shown up on the dark web and they're saying, hey, this email address. So then you know you need to change those passwords for those
0: sites. Wow, that is very interesting. I haven't heard about this one. So I am the first one going and looking at this link on the guide that Ernest is giving us together with this presentation today and checking on some of those because we want to have our email accounts just for ourselves.
1: Th- that that concludes the, the tenth item that that's kind of there's a couple more items on here but we can leave those for later or you know but they're just you know about setting your location settings and making sure you're not being tracked again you can decide how much you want to allow or not allow notifications on your screens on your mobile devices specifically. For example, if you use the Bible app, if you're going into very hostile regions, you don't want it popping up with the latest verse of the day. Now, if you're not in hostile regions, absolutely, I love to have that pop up. You know, just to remind me to look at it and give me something to think about. But if I'm going to a hostile region, I definitely turn that notification off. So th- that's one of the things you have to make a decision where you're at and what your risk factor is for where you're traveling or where you're doing your mission work.
0: Ernest, as we are as we are concluding. Um, we, you and I agree that we want to do one more of this type of conversation about our use of social media. If you could just wet our appetites just a little bit so that we can be looking forward to uh, to this particular um, interview with you, why is security important in regard to social media?
1: Great question. Um, two things. First of all, I, I want to make sure as we're addressing this, I want to say I have done other presentations in the past about using mobile devices and social media for ministry. So please hear me, I'm not against mobile devices and social media. We are presenting the security risk today. So, in the social media realm, there's some great opportunities. But social media also has, it can very quickly explode into something that becomes viral um, that can be good or cannot be good. So this is part of the things of understanding when you do a social media check-in, that tells a lot about you, and that can be tracked. And there's all kinds of websites that build a psychological profile on someone's social media. There's software out there, open source intelligent software, paid intelligent software, where it takes all of your social media posts, and it basically builds a psychological profile about you.
0: And it can tell a lot of things about a person, Um, not only their interests. but go ahead. Well, next time we will be looking deeper into this because, um, you know, we we are all kind of, especially those of us who are in the mission field, this is such a difficult question. How do we use it? But uh, you and I, we will, we'll, we'll take a look at social media uh, from both missional and security standpoint so that we can actually have it as a tool that will be a blessing for us for our local host community, for the church, for God's name, where we are. Ernest, we, are, we, we started uh, to actually doing something as a habit by now. Um, we usually ask our guests to pray, and specifically within the topic that we've been discussing. So if you would be willing to pray for Adventist missionaries, missionaries at large, if anybody else is listening to this, that is wonderful, but especially so that the Lord would keep them safe and secure and give them wisdom to uh, to arrange whatever is in our power to arrange with your prayer we will conclude this interview
1: absolutely thank you heavenly father we on our hearts today is our missionaries and what they're doing to spread the gospel and the love of jesus christ and we pray that as they're out there serving the people as you have called us to serve lord that they can do it in a manner that not only glorifies you but also keeps themselves and their family, their children safe in the ministry that it just expounds on the gospel and does not detract from it. We thank you so much for the technology that we can use to reach out to people, but I also pray that you help us to use it wisely and help us to be wise as serpents, so that way we can use it for your glory and honor. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: Special thanks to Ernest for this high-value interview. We're happy to let you know that this is the first interview in a series of three that we designed for you. Now, This is good news. At this moment, let me share with you an invitation from Ernest to hear the second episode. Actually, he will be talking, inviting you and explaining to you what this next episode on missionary safety is all about.
1: For our next podcast, I'm excited to dig into the five aspects of social media. We're going to start off by looking at some of the dangers inherent in social media. Then we're going to look at some of the privacy and messaging issues. Then we'll move on to Facebook and data trafficking and how that works with social media. And we'll look at reputational considerations and how that is interactive with social media. And last, we'll conclude with actually how to use social media for a ministry tool after we've looked at some of the basic understandings that we need to have in
0: place to use it effectively. All links to resources that Ernest made available to our podcast audience you will be able to find in the show notes. And if you feel that this is the kind of information your colleagues in the field need to hear, please share this episode with them, share it widely. We'll only be happy. As always, we invite you to make sure you are subscribed to the podcast to be the first one to get the newly published podcast episode every week from Institute of World Mission. My name is Alex Ott and together with our team at IWM, we're looking forward to seeing you next week.